Episode of Video Game Logic. Today's episode was recorded on October the 22nd, 2019. I'm your host, Gaming Psychologist, and with me, as always, I closed the fucking list. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, caffeine rage. Let's go for it. Yeah, I'll get back on the, the letter list last week, but I closed it when I pulled up something else. Oh well. On today's show, we will, of course, be discussing the games that we've played. We're going to be talking about the Blizzard and Hearthstone band Clusterfuck. We're going to be discussing Fallout 76, officially backpedaling on cosmetic-only microtransactions. The Humble Monthly bundle is becoming the Humble Choice bundle. EA games, including Dragon Age 2, are probably coming back to Steam. On our community corner this week, we have a letter from Kyle, as well as a quick discussion about our community game night. And we will have a Steam Weekly Discovery queue to wind out the list. Timestamps will be in the show notes following their respective topics. Hello, Rage. Hello. So, uh, this is what a podcast is like, right? Yeah, we're here. This is a real show. Are, are, um, are you sure? So everybody knew? No, I'm not. Let me pinch myself. <laughs> I didn't feel anything. It must be Or are you? Or you just been saying ice back some more. No, I haven't needed my ice pack for for about a week now. Well, no, that's not true. For about four or five days. Um, anyways, as everyone knew, I think if you listen to the show, that Rage went to a anime con, and so we took one a week off for that. Um, and then I had some surgery, and I was expecting to be healed, nice and neat, in time to do. Yeah, because of course you're a troublemaker, and so we needed to take. I am a troublemaker. So we needed to have the uh, have an extra week off. So you've had two weeks of Franken content, but and now we're, we're back on the straight and narrow path until the next uh, time because we go sideways. I'm not sorry. No, no, yeah, I have you no have no pleasures. Shame. They're I mean, all just pleasures. I have yeah. no shame. Yep, I had some very some some minor complications with my surgery. Nothing major. Anyone who wants to know the yeah, details, because he has those I'm shame. more than welcome to talk about it. But you know, I understand. I understand not everybody wants to hear about my bodily issues. So, if you want to know, let me know and I'll tell you. Um, but, we're back. And there was much rejoicing? There was. There Hooray. was. So you guys got to hear about Tin Clown Dads. <laughs> I was very happy. I listened back to that entire thing. Normally I don't do that with the Franken content. I just like skim through it and I'm like, okay, here's where it turns back into the regular show. So I'll cut there. And just whatever is there is there. So it's a mixed bag what you're going to get. But I listened back to that whole thing because I loved my Tin Clown Dad so much. <laughs> I'm laughing just thinking about it now. I have never been more pleased with a joke or an idea in my entire life. Now, now the question is... I'm positively uh, giddy. Does it spin off to Mom Bomb Uncle or something? Because, you know, we have to have the spin off eventually. No, we have the Mime Girlfriends. So we would need something else... For the spinoff show hmm. for the uncle. My Geek Uncle? No, that's uh, about half the CPS lineup these days. Uh, we'll have to workshop that one later. Yeah, 
So uh, something else we should probably workshop is actually getting on track for once. Let's do that. So we're going to go talk about the games that we played, sort of. You're going to talk about your trip to the con first, but there's some gaming-related stuff in here, so... I think yeah, that's there, why you decided yeah, to there's roll a it bit in. of like yeah, there's a bit of gaming related stuff. Unfortunately, the con was packed. I mean, this was the first time that they moved back to the capital uh, city of uh, West Virginia, Charleston, and it's a more central location. So they hit an attendance record of 2600 people over the weekend. Which for West Virginia, that's a fucking big con. So I went to TasubaCon, and I think I have the pronunciation of that correct. And it's an anime and gaming convention that's been in Huntington for the last several years, but with the revamp of the Charleston Civic Center, they uh, moved it back to Charleston. And like I said, it's a more central location, and it's a lot better for me to go. And I went with my girlfriend, Adida, and we had an absolute blast. We... Uh, hit a few of the panels. We actually ended up doing a lot more of the language and writing panels than uh, anything else, which wasn't what I was expecting to, to hit, but it was actually a lot of fun. Uh, trying to think of the uh, author. It was a fantasy horror author that uh, ran the writing panel that was actually quite funny. He, he was uh, it, That was actually my favorite panel that we hit. And actually very informative. I ended up having a bunch of notes from that. But I have to say, really the highlight is just the cosplay. I sent Jared and tweeted out a couple of them. Uh, mostly because they looked like Jared. <laughs> they did. Uh, ran into the title character, or the main character from Castaway. And then ran into Bob Ross. <laughs> and it's... Hilarious whenever people get into character. And we had Bob Ross uh, uh, tell us God bless as he walked off. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, There was several Deadpools running around, which actually is, you know, uh, canonical for the Deadpool universe because there's, you know, Deadpools all over the place. There was one Deadpool that was in an inflatable ballerina outfit. So it was fat ballerina Deadpool. Uh, there was one with a, uh, um, I'm still blanking on the name of the instrument. It's the keyboard that you blend into. Yeah. I know what instrument you're talking about, but I don't know its name. Keyboard. Uh, he. Air into. A melanonica or something like that. Melodica. Uh, well, I was close. Very close. Yeah. He was, yeah, he, he was playing that the entire time as he was walking around. Uh, we uh, ran into All Might, which was actually my girlfriend's former student. Uh, that she, uh, uh, and it was a, uh, well, it wasn't really a gender bend, uh, uh, All Might, but she was, uh, uh, she actually did an amazing job with the makeup to have sort of the, uh, facial features. Uh, I'm trying to think of some of the other real highlights because it kind of all blends together. Uh, Anita was uh, looking for Naruto characters <laughs> and absolutely geeked out uh, in the middle of the mall when she ran to a couple of them. <laughs> it was fucking mm-hmm. adorable. Uh, trying to think of what else. Um, uh, we uh, hit the artist alley. I, I would say the artist alley. I was a little. 
I don't want to say disappointed, maybe underwhelmed at some of the uh, offering because a lot of it was t-shirts that I just wasn't really for me. Big t-shirt vendor was all like memes and uh, internet jokes, half of which is like, oh yeah, that's kind of funny. I want a t-shirt of it, but it's kind of funny. Uh, they actually had a sword vendor there, and it was very tempting to buy a sword. But uh, there wasn't one that uh, really I uh, wanted, so I, I may uh, get a sword you know, online. Uh, what's kind of funny was uh, that both of us thought was that they were selling live uh, steel blades in Milcon, where they bent everything north of foam weapons, nerf guns, that sort of thing. So you knew where, the, uh, you know, uh, eventually there was going to be trouble. And actually leaving, I think it was the writing con, or the writing panel, you, we just heard uh, uh, one of the leaders of the convention shout uh, at this kid that was swinging around a dagger or something, <laughs> that they were going to kick him out if they kept uh, uh, toying around with live steel. I mean, it was loud, and it, if it was a movie, there would have been the record scratch because everybody stopped. <laughs> I mean, everybody in this convention center stopped and just looked. <laughs> it, it was an amazing moment. <laughs> and the thing is, if it's the person I think it was, it was uh, one of the mm-hmm. uh, staff members I met before heading, heading the hotel. And she's this little, like, Five foot nothing thing that, you know, I was very tempted to just put in my pocket and just walk off with. So hearing her scream at this kid was just amazing. <laughs> uh, but a lot of it was guess the cosplay character, you know, try to figure out, okay, that character looks familiar. Where, did, where is it from? There was a lot of uh, uh, Marvel stuff. There was uh, some DC. I saw a few Batman's. Uh, there was actually a really uh, well done blade. Uh, the va- uh, the vampire hunter, which uh, was a character that I actually wasn't expecting to see, it. but as soon as it clicked, it's like, oh wow, that's really cool. Uh, the gaming section was absolutely packed the entire time. I think Adita wants to go hit the actually the gathering stuff next year, though, mm-hmm. and we're already making plans to go again. Matter of fact, they just announced that it's going to be in the same place just you know a year from now. So already making plans to go and actually cosplay together, but not going to spoil what we're going to do. Maybe we'll do a face reveal. I don't know. I know, unless you uh, change your mind. But you told me mm-hmm. so. Yeah, yeah. Uh, plus, you've seen uh, part of the uh, 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 costume as well, or at least one of them. And uh, it made you laugh so hard, it hurt a part of your anatomy as well. <laughs> uh, trying to think, let's see. Uh, well, the, I was on the gaming stuff. The gaming stuff, like I said, was pretty much the entire time. Maybe we should have hit a little bit of, of the Plachinko, because they had a proper Plachinko collar there. Uh, with, the, of course, the gambling element. Uh, they had some Japanese uh, uh, arcade machines, but they they had lines on them from day one. Uh, it was a little weird to see a Dance Dance Revolution machine, actually. Uh, but like I said, that was pretty much uh, completely packed the entire time. 
they did some tabletop stuff that we didn't really look at too much. There was a uh, a manga uh, library. We actually didn't hit nothing about it. Uh, I guess that's something for next year, huh? But like I said yep. before, we started recording that hitting convention like this, you don't see everything in one year. You know, you take it piecemeal, and a lot of the uh, panels do repeat. So uh, eventually, we do get to see a lot more. It's just yeah, you know, over the course of several years, which, like I said, plans are in place to go again. And we're just waiting for the tickets to go on sale. And it'll be a lot cheaper for Anita next time because she, uh, unfortunately, didn't realize the con was in town. She thought it was still in Huntington. <clears throat> she hates that place. <laughs> With a passion. So, yeah. Uh, any questions? Uh, do you want to ask if I saw any particular characters? Um, What was the best looking cosplay you saw? Like what character or whatever? Like what was the best one? Oh, that that would be tough to call because there was some really amazing stuff. There was some Fallout stuff that okay, some of it was Fallout seventy six related. Uh, that they obviously spent. Let's put it this way: they spent more time on the costume than Bethesda did on that damn game. All right. Yeah. Uh, there, I didn't watch the anime itself, but there was the teacher from Assassination Classroom. That was done exceptionally well. Uh, you're going to laugh, but actually the furries, the fursuits, were actually d- exceptionally well done. I'm not going to laugh. I've seen some really good fursuits. I mean, they were very impressive. That They spent a lot of time and money on those. Uh, and even the more simple stuff, like the Bob Ross asset, you, the, or the castaway... Uh, just because they were creative and were able to you know, play off what they had and were able to uh, achieve. Uh, I would say All Might that I sent you a picture of is up there as well. Uh, I tweeted out. Uh, Deadpool, the Deadpools, the Spider-Man. Uh, there was a Gwen Stacy that I saw, or the Gwen Stacy Spider-Man from uh, Into the Spider-Verse. Oh, and there was also the Noir mm-hmm. uh, Spider-Man, yeah. Spider-Man. And there was also Noir Spider-Man. And he was walking around with the Rubik's Cube from the movie. Nice. So that was also just... There was there's too many to really be able to say a particular best one. Because every single one, they're, they're awesome in their own way. I didn't really see anything that I would consider absolute shit. Uh, either, which, uh, even the joke ones, like there was a guy that had 404 uh, cosplay not found just kind of drew on it onto a white t-shirt t-shirt it was funny in its own way but you know I, I, it was you know witty so yeah I, uh i would say really mm-hmm. all of them in their own way some of them just on you know, technical some of them for just creativity some of them just pulling off a really obscure character some of them for just some of the accessories like there were several uh, several of the fallout ones actually had Proper light up, uh, plasma weapons. Right. So, uh, there was, uh, LARP fighting, uh, and there were several people with, uh, uh, full on Star Wars outfits, you know, Jedi robes. Uh, there, uh, there was a couple stormtroopers running around. There was some people that were in armor for that. So, yeah. It's hard to say a, a particular best because all of them were. Nice. 
I don't think I have any other questions. I mean, we talked about this quite a bit before. So I don't, I mean, mm-hmm. I asked any questions I would have then, and I can't think of anything to ask right now. Um, but I mean, you had a good time. Yeah. I was going to say, did you yeah, have a just, good time? But I know you yeah, had one, so. Yeah, yeah, looking forward to heading in again next year and uh, maybe do a little bit more on the gaming side of things. Get in early or uh, clear off more schedule to be able to uh, wait in line for it. Or just hit the Plachinko because I seem to be not as popular, but it's a you know it's a thing. So who knows? Maybe we'll do something. Yeah. I'm trying to think of anything else. Or and I know uh, Anita wants to hit the Magic Gathering stuff. So you know, let let her go do her thing and you know uh, break some ass. Yeah. <laughs> go kick ass at Magic. Last time I played Magic, I was in high school. I would be so bad right now. I never really learned it, and I think she's uh, planning on teaching me. So, oh, I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna get a king. I always liked it. I just once I got out of high school, I didn't really have anybody to play with, and I didn't want to go to public places and do tournaments and stuff. If I was gonna do anything with that now, it would be to do like a tabletop RPG thing. I just didn't, you know, I didn't keep up with the meta or anything. Mm Hmm. Yeah, that's the thing. That whenever you go to a convention like this for a magic tournament, you know, mm-hmm. there's going to be at least several people that have spent big bucks on their decks. But there, but there was more uh, than just the constructed. Yeah, you know, there was a, a blind draft going on. So that's more luck of the cards, but also a little bit of card building or deck building, I should say. So. It's not just, you know, whoever spent the most money wins. It's uh, a little bit of skill in that sort of tournament as well. Um, all right. Is it my turn? We're going to switch a Roo? Sweet. So I'm going to go talk about a game. I didn't go to any conventions, so I'm going to kick us off with, with game games on the list. Um, I played Surviving Mars. You talked about this a bit on the last, I believe, the last episode that we recorded, so two, three weeks ago. Um, And afterwards, I went, oh, sweet. I didn't realize that was on Game Pass. I'm going to go play that. (laughs) So I did, and I have a lot. Um, Surviving Mars, uh, just the real basics in case you missed that episode, is um, a sort of city-type management game where you're managing a colony on Mars. You start from scratch. You just land uh, with a, a couple of rovers and some drones to build stuff and a few things that you can bring with you. And you can choose what you want to bring, but you definitely want to bring a, a few prefab structures and some resources to build them. And uh, you go and you build a successful thriving colony on Mars. There are a bunch of different things you can do to customize the difficulty. There's certain special rules you can able, enable or disable Things like um, increasing the severity of meteor storms or other environmental hazards or special rules for, you know, however many colonists you can get from Earth and everyone else has to be Martian born or um, things that like crank up the amount of fuel it takes to get your rockets back and forth. Like, you know, some stuff like that, some sort of challenge rules. There's some things that make it easier too, like you can turn off um, discomfort in your colonists. There's a sort of like 
free play mode or whatever where that like no one can die and and no one ages and you still have to collect your resources but it's really just a lot more chill um but though that's in sort of like a special rule set that you can add you know enable or disable all of those are turned off by default then there's the ver- various scenarios that also vary in difficulty um the easiest one is uh like a worldwide initiative to send people to mars so you get a fuck ton of starting money and people never get earth sick so once colonists come they never want to go home for any reason so you don't have to worry about your your uh, population bleeding off and going back to earth because you can't satisfy their needs <clears throat> and then it slowly gets more difficult from there i've started two separate games and one of them i used that and the other one i used um the usa start which has a pretty big starting cash pool, and then every so often on fixed intervals, you get cash injections from them. Uh, and then they have some other stuff that's a, a little bit easier. Like, they get good uh, value for rare metals you send back to earn money, and they have a, a decent supply pool of, of colonists. But there's other countries that you can choose, like China, Russia. Um, there are private companies that you can choose. There are, there's one that's set up by like a church group. Um, so there, you know, and each one of those has different conditions and some of them have things that are better. Some of them have things that are worse. Um, and it's, it's an additional way to kind of tweak the base difficulty of your game. And then, um, there are these scenarios. So you had talked about these a little bit last time. Um, and you can choose to disable the scenario altogether you can set it to random or you can pick from one and they're they you know some of them are easier some of them are, are more difficult but they're these things that add uh, randomization a certain amount of randomization to your gameplay and they mix up the tech tree a little bit so for example i got one where that the, the first one that i got uh which most people online said is one of the more difficult ones because i had just left it set to random was there's another company that starts sending up these mysterious um, rovers to Mars and they roam around on the map and do different things. And as the story progresses, um, you can make decisions that are like, Oh, I'm going to go inspect these or I'm going to leave them alone. Let's try and investigate. Eventually they reach out to you because one of them breaks down and they want you to fix it and you can go fix it. And you find out it's a a military vehicle and there's a treaty in place that's supposed to ban all military applications on Mars. So then you can choose to um, blow the whistle on them or uh, let them bribe you to not tell. And there's a couple of different bribes that you can take if you go that route. And then um, eventually, like if you don't blow the whistle, eventually somebody does. Like that's a part of the storyline and it affects the way that they come after you. So... Um, if you don't blow the whistle like someone in your colony does and they get mad at you, but they send less things to try and blow you up. Um, so then that like gives you, so there's a, um, a meteor defense system you can research and then build for your domes. Uh, but if you go this scenario, it gives it to you at that point. If you, even if you didn't have it before, it's like, oh, our scientists have, very quickly adapted some technology to build this missile platform. And it only costs like a thousand research, which is super cheap. And then you can start building these defense platforms. And then you have to defend your colony and you can't do Jack. You just have to build these missile platforms and hope 
that the rovers wander into range of them and don't blow up too much of your stuff because you can't control them. You can capture and repair the enemy rovers, and then you can use those like mobile turrets, but they honestly kind of suck. And it's a hassle to do that. Um, so that was the scenario that I got. And then afterwards you get taken to court if you chose to uh, hide the truth. I'm not sure what happens if you reveal it, because I let them bribe me with huge sums of money. Because I was constantly suffering food shortages. Because uh, I didn't watch the tutorial, and I just relied on the tooltips. And uh, I should have watched or played the tutorial. <clears throat> so all of my colonies were way imbalanced. I was trying to create sort of hubs that did did things. So, you know, there's resources you have to mine from the map. The rare metals are what you get money for, but there's water and science and then more standard materials that you need to construct domes. So I was trying to create these little uh, clustered or like little dome city clusters that each had a specific purpose. So I was like, okay, here's some uh, a really metal-rich part. So I'll build a dome cluster here, and they'll mine metal. And this dome cluster will be food production. And this dome cluster will be that. And eventually that might work once you have some other systems in place, but I tried to do that way too early. Well, the big thing is having shuttle transport systems. Which I had. I had those. Um, you can do transports with just the little, I forget what they're called, but the little carrier rovers that can haul around up to 45 once they're, you research the upgrade. They can haul around 45 of any resource. So you can set up a transportation network with those, but it's really complicated. So you definitely want the shuttles because they will kind of auto-manage the your research, resource network. But you need both a lot of shuttles and also you still need to have some balance within the dome because setting up the priorities for those things gets a little weird and messy. And so it, it's difficult. And so I would have one dome colony that would have, for example, like 500 food sitting in its storehouse and three that had none. And it's like, there's a food shortage. Your colonists are starving. They're dying. And I'm like, I have all of this food over here. Just go pick it up. But it didn't, it didn't quite work right. So in my second go through, I've kind of got things balanced a little bit better where that each colony has some food production. So if there are food shortages, which have happened a couple of times, my transportation network has time to respond. Um, also, I didn't quite understand how the sort of transportation works between domes. You can build um, just tunnels that connect domes together and individuals can go through and they can work in adjacent domes um, to ones that they live in, but they will only go one dome over. So if you've got three domes, the one in the middle needs to be the one where everyone lives, and then the two on either side need to be ones where people work. But I didn't realize that at first, so I'm just like making lines of domes because I didn't build them in a proper way to allow them to be put in some sort of circle or maybe like spoke pattern. And so I'm like, oh, I'll just stick some people over here. And then I realized, like, I have 30 people living in this dome and 30 empty jobs, like, two domes over. Why aren't they going over there? And then I actually looked it up. And it's like, people will only travel to an adjacent dome. And I'm like, well, fuck. And then they won't travel to a dome. Even if the doors are literally touching each other, they won't travel to an adjacent dome if it's not connected by a tunnel. I learned that the hard way, too. <laughs> so 
I started a second playthrough and have so been doing a So you're doing Survivor Mars then? No, I did not survive Mars on my first playthrough. We all died. So I started a second playthrough um, and am now using everything that I learned from the first one to more properly manage my domes. And people are happy and I don't have regular food shortages and I've got things set up in a nice, you know, sort of basically a spoke pattern. I'll set up a really big dome in the middle and put tons of living quarters there and then just sort of spoke it out into various smaller domes that are specialized and the, the people will go and they will work in them. It's very, it's very efficient. Very nice. But now I'm, my biggest issue is water. I constantly run out of water because the map that I have doesn't have much water on it. Yeah, that's what um, I picked. Uh, yeah, one that I had, had a start that wasn't very good. That's why I never really progressed very far. And yeah, so I never ran into these issues. Uh, the dumb one is just dumb, but mm, that's uh, just limitations on these games, huh? That doesn't make a lot of sense at times. Yeah. The the one that I've got this time, the random scenario, is an AI, and it's HAL 6000. <laughs> so. Yeah, the, uh, um, the scenario I had that I didn't get very far in was uh, the, uh, the uh, probe network. It was one of the easier mm-hmm. ones. It was wanting me to process a lot of data to continue on. And I was in the middle of uh, research yeah. and other shit. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I need to build more domes that have the... I forget what it's called. The AI spire or something like that. or the No, it's the Martian Network Spire, um, which gives a huge boost to research. But I'm currently not needing to build new domes, so I'm not progressing that one right now. Um, I think one thing I don't remember you mentioning is the soundtrack for this game. Yeah, I didn't really pay that much attention to it. To be perfectly I really honest, like... it's it's a very atmospheric soundtrack, and that's why it fell into the back for me. So I really like the soundtrack. That's not all there is to it. So it has radio stations, um, and there's the just the Sur- Surviving Mars soundtrack. And then there's three different radio stations that have three completely different vibes. One of them is called Mars Radio or Mars Free Radio. And it's like a very like surfer, like 1960s American surfer vibe with stuff that sounds inspired by the Beach Boys and a radio host that, um, you know, gives these like promotional messages and FAQs and things like that that talk about like managing your health, physical and mental. And Mars is tough, but you should all come together. And then there's one called, I think it's Martian Underground Radio, and it is this, um, uh, like, cyberpunk-esque feeling music and radio DJ. Like, it's got a lot of electronica. Uh, does that only come into play once people show up? No, you can swap to those at uh, any time. Maybe I just didn't pay attention to it. And then there's another radio station that's, I forget what it's called, but it's it's just background music, and it's a different type of background music from the original soundtrack. So there's no DJ. On yeah, I guess that's, uh, you know, I guess I just uh, left it on the background music because I was focused on trying to survive Mars. They don't point it out to you. I just went into the audio settings to turn down the music specifically separate from the main game audio. Cause I thought it was too loud. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what is this radio stations thing? Cause I'm thinking, cause I mean, there's games that do this like American and Euro truck simulator well, where that you can get, you know, internet radio stations and then play those in the game. So I'm thinking that's what it is. And I click on it and it's like, no, it's 
different so, so skylines. Quote radio stations. Yeah. It was very cool. I I like that. Yeah, I've heard a bit more forward. But, huh? Yeah. Yeah. So Surviving Mars, real good. I enjoy it. I'm gonna keep playing it. Or I'm gonna survive. Alright, Marty. I'm gonna science the shit out of this. Oh, talking about science thing, the shit out of things. How about Destiny Two? Go for it. I'm been, I'm not terribly far in this game, and the intro sequence it basically just hand waves. You don't need to know anything about what's going on in the story. It doesn't matter right now. If uh, there's this big ball thing that, uh, if you played the first game and you know spent the time read the website, you'd probably already know about. If not, then don't worry about it. Uh, I'm, I brought you back from the dead. There's uh, bad guys. Go shoot them. And that's pretty much the story so far. <laughs> Let's be perfectly honest here. It's one of those uh, times that it feels like they're trying to just rush through a world building and trying to tease you into reading the uh, almanac without saying, yep, yeah, if you want to know, go read the almanac like you were supposed to in the first game to understand what the fuck. So, Destiny 2 is a first-person shooter, looter-shooter, actually, and I'm going to draw a lot of parallels between this and Warframe, because there was a lot of parallels given when Destiny 2 was a paid game on the Blizzard uh, launcher. And not for, you know, no reason. I mean, I definitely understand why people draw parallels to it, but at the same time, they are two very different games, and I'm not just talking about one's a third-person shooter and the another first-person shooter. It's a completely different focus on gameplay that I think a lot of people just overlook. Destiny 2 is a looter shooter. You are building up your loot. You are uh, swapping out guns. While Warframe is more of almost a hero shooter where individual classes are what you're really focused on and getting various new power sets. <coughs> Sorry. There's a call for you. Still getting over my illness. That's why I haven't played many games. Yep. But Warframe is more focused on different uh, player classes, which enables different power sets, which also enables different game types or you know styles of gameplay. A more stealth-based, more power-based, uh, more focused on actual gunplay, uh, which... It feels a little bit better in Warframe, but it may just be the fact that I'm used to it, and Warframe does movement abilities a hell of a lot better, just from uh, the base standpoint of bullet jumping, but also, you know, uh, different Warframes have different powers to allow for better movement. <sighs> and I'm not really sure which one I like better, because each one is focused on its own thing. It feels like there's a lot more going on with Destiny 2 that it just is teasing me with. But because it doesn't really bother to explain anything, it kind of lost me. Which I realized Warframe did the same thing, but it didn't tease this huge world right from the beginning. It gave it to you piecemeal and has expanded upon that over the course of its development. While Destiny 2 is a more big budget title and has a lot more up front. And also the fact that it 
feels like it's holding me back because it will explain certain mechanics. Like, one of the main things to start off with was do one adventure, uh, like one or two adventures, one or two patrols, a bunch of bounties. But I kept having bounties that wasn't counting for me because it was very specific. And you're only given so many options for them. Like, one was get multi-kills with power weapons, which is the third weapon that you get. There's a, a ballistic uh, weapon that you can ha- uh, carry, a energy weapon that you can carry, and a power weapon you can carry. And plus, you have the ability to just punch things in the face. And each one has different... Uh, uh, pros and cons, and each one could be swapped out to various types of weapons. So you have a kinetic shotgun, but your energy could also be a shotgun if you so choose, if you get lucky with the loot. But because they wanted to really explain things, the bounty that I had for the power weapons wasn't really taking off because, okay, I had to get multi-kills of so many creatures in this very specific area and it wasn't until I really sat down and read a lot more in depth and I think that's kind of uh, I think that's kind of the whole thing with Destiny 2 is okay it's a uh, first person shooter sit down and read in depth to figure out what the hell sit down and read in depth on how to do this how to do that while Warframe yes in order to get some more than the nuance but you're also able to progress still, you know? It just feels like I'm getting stonewalled a lot more in Destiny 2 because I'm not treating it as much as a wiki game as they seem to want to. And also, kind of with how much they tied uh, uh, stuff to microtransactions is kind of scummy. It it feels uh, pretty bad. Uh, Whatever you see, pretty much all the cosmetics has uh, paid items. With no way to trade them like you have in Warframe. Uh, I don't like the fact that the cuts are consumable. There's no customization. It's on uh, what individual colors are. You just, oh, uh, you got a color palette that you, uh, that looks pretty good. Okay, you use that. <clears throat> oh, oh, you used it. It's gone. Instead of uh, Warframe's uh, uh, method of buying color palettes. And then picking from them to color everything that you want. I, I realize, I, yeah, it, I am comparing apples to oranges here. They are two very different games. And I don't think I've spent enough time to really give a fair assessment with Destiny 2. But there's just a lot of dickling things about it that's kind of held me back. And according to Steam, I've spent four hours with it. I, I swear I've spent six to eight with it. But a lot of it is tied to this one area because I'm stonewalled on the progression until literally right before I stopped last time to unlock Titan to be able to go to another place. It it just feels like it's very sluggish. I will say that the, uh, the player classes is interesting. There's three different player classes that I have access to. And I think there's another one that's tied to one of the expansions. And each one of them has three different subsets. So I chose the, I believe it's the Titan, which is a more defensive focused one. And each one, yeah, 
Yeah, uh, well, punch boy and heal yourself while punching things in the face. And heal your teammates while punching things in the face. Uh, there's a, a, essentially a talent tree that you could choose one of four different items from, like, I want to say five or six different sets. And one's tied to your grenades, one's tied to your like, one's tied to your primary power, overcharge power, which I didn't really talk about because honestly, I'm not 100% certain how it's charging because they kind of just kind of glossed over. Oh yeah, you can press this power and you get a shield as a titan. It's, if it's the same as the first one, it builds up. Yeah, but I don't, I don't, um, I don't really notice that much of a change. It seems to be always charging. I mean, they could have changed it. Um, it used to be directly tied to damage that you dealt, unless you had an item or an ability. That... No, I, no, I could be set. Uh, no, I could be setting in the uh, church, which is the kind of the hub for this one area. It'll just be slowly charging the entire time. So I'm not sure if it's tied to enemies dying in the area. I'm not sure what it's tied to. Uh, but whenever you overcharge uh, for the Titan, you get a shield, or at least my particular subset get a shield that you're able to go essentially Captain America with. And that's kind of fun. It's just, it's, there's a lot of, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. They're not explaining this very well. The tutorials in game don't really explain a lot. But unlike Warframe, if you don't understand what the hell is going on, you're stonewalled. While Warframe, you could still go have fun. You could go dick around in some of the open world areas. You could go do your missions for the most part. You could slowly unlock things. While well, this feels a lot more tied to the quest system. Which I just found honestly a little frustrating because part of it was tied to bounties that I wasn't able to complete. And you had to buy the damn bounties to begin with. So you're depleting the resources that you're getting to get stuff that you can't unlock. And it was just a little annoying to me. So... Uh, anything I should know from Destiny 1? <laughs> I don't know. There's so much that I didn't... Because I only played the original. I didn't play any of the expansion to Destiny well, 1. Well, the free-to-play actually gives you all the your one stuff, and it only unlo- it only has the two-player expansions locked. So it does give you a hell of a lot of content. It's just, I don't know what the hell's going on. And they've taught a lot behind the microtransactions. I mean, I, honestly, I, I understand why, you know, a lot of the cosmetics are tied by hot microtransactions because it's a free game now. They have to pay for them now. But there's no way to earn them either. Maybe I'm just spoiled by Warframe being very generous. I don't know. Perhaps. I, like I said, I need to play it so I can compare the first one to the second one. I still have the first one because I own it digitally. So I can play it on Xbox. What if I can play it on PC? No idea. I don't know if it's an Xbox Play Anywhere title. Yeah, since it wasn't a uh, first party. Probably not. But it was. Uh, I, I still want to play it sometime, and I think I do want to submit it for a game night. Start new characters. And possibly do it like two weeks in a row. Just, yep. Uh, stick with those characters. Mm hmm. see. No, Destiny 1 is not available 
on the Windows Store yeah, or whatever. Yeah, yeah, I don't think it was on PC at all, or was it? No, it definitely wasn't. But with the Xbox like Play Anywhere thing, I didn't know if Destiny was included. Mm-hmm. But it's not. So, boo. <laughs> Alrighty. So is it my turn again? Yeah, I think so. Alright, my next game is Motorsport Manager. We have, a long time ago, discussed Motorsport Manager um, on the show. But uh, in case you're unaware, Motorsport Manager is a management game for motorsport. <laughs> you play uh, the, Almost um, like it's right there in the title or something. Almost. You play essentially the team boss, um, and you manage the aspects of the team. So you manage the pit crew, you manage the drivers... You manage your lead mechanics. You manage the um, designer who develops new parts and things for your car. And then you manage your actual facilities. Um, So upgrading them, building different uh, buildings, testing facilities, uh, sort of attractions where fans of your race team can come hang out, like all all of that sort of stuff. You manage it. Um, And there's this strategic aspect of it, which is all the stuff that I just talked about. And then there's the actual race management where you manage your driving team. And that varies based on which series you're playing. The base game only has open wheel, which is think Formula One. The the ones that go for him. As the American equivalent. Um, But open wheel cars. But they do also have GT cars and endurance racing. Um, And endurance racing has more team members and you have to do things like driver switching. But get to those things in a minute. Um, and so you actually manage the cars on race day and it, it's some basic stuff, uh, such as you can have your drivers be more aggressive. You can have them conserve more to say fuel or tire wear, um, depending on what racing series you're in fueling, refueling may be allowed or maybe not allowed. Um, so you have to manage those things and then you manage the pit stops, um, making any quick repairs to the vehicle, changing tires, what type of tires to take. Um, if it's going to be raining, you have to adjust for that. You control those things during the race and during the practice and qualifying rounds. So it is a motorsport manager game, which I love. I love I love car games. I love driving games. Don't get me wrong. But one of the things that uh, several years ago, maybe eight, seven, eight years ago now, something like that, I played, I think it was Gran Turismo 4. It might be Gran Turismo 5. That had what was called B-Spec mode, which was where you managed a racing team. And there wasn't as much management to it as this. It was much more about fine control during the race, giving your drivers orders and things like that. Um, and then one of the older Forza games, Forza 1 and Forza 2 both, had a driver management system where you could have an AI driver for your cars and do the races for you. And you could manage them and they had stats that built up and... Um, you know, they took a cut of the earnings and you could make them mad and they would leave and things like that. So, um, I really, really enjoyed that because I'm a huge nerd who likes management games. And this is all of that on steroids. I was like, you played another one. This I did. I did. And we'll get to that soon. Um, or, or another, another one, another, another one, but, but, um, what was I, what was, what was I about to say? Oh, Beast um, yeah, so, you know, there's this, this whole B-Spec mode, and I enjoyed that. Um, and this is that on steroids. I've very recently gotten into Formula One a lot more heavily than I have been in the past. I, I've always been interested. I enjoy it. But I've gotten into sort of this kick where that um, 
I'm learning a lot about it. Pit strategies, tire strategies, the sort of physics that goes into racing and things like that. How much of how well a team does is, is handled behind the scenes and a lot less on the track. Um, and so when I was down for my surgery, this was something that I could easily play on my laptop. And so I have played the shit out of this game. There are a couple of free DLCs, one that has some additional uh, libraries for your cars, and then one that lets you create a team. Um, in just the base game, you can jump into um, any of the available teams for various uh, championships that essentially increase in difficulty and have some oddities to them or some specific things. Um but you can uh, jump into any one of those. And then one of the DLCs allows you to cre create your own team, which I have done. I um, mean, you start basically from scratch. You get some, you'll get like a first season bonus. So basically you can pick a better car to have some additional money or to have, what's the other thing? Better drivers. Um, and those last for one season to try and give yourself the best starting boost that you can because you will get fucked in your first season royally. Um, you get basically three starting scenarios, low, medium, or high pressure, and that's basically the, the place you have to come in by the end of the season. So there's 10 teams in total, and obviously you can come in from 10th through first place. And if you come lower than your expected positioning, they fire you. And then you're, it's game over and you have to start over. So I pick the low pressure scenario, which gives me the least amount of starting capital, but I can get 10th and that's okay. But every season that you improve, they expect you to do that well in the next season or keep improving or you'll get fired. So on my current game, I'm in my fourth season and I currently have to come fourth in the season rankings. Um, my first season, I got ninth. My second season, I got eighth my third season i got um or so no my second season i got seventh my third season i got fifth so now i have to get fourth or i get fired um i had a couple of failed seasons what you really have to focus on at the beginning of the game if you're going to create your own driver team is you have to build up your facilities otherwise the second season you get creamed because your car won't be good enough because you can't develop a car as good as the one they give you with the, like the starting bonus for your first year. And every year in formula one, you have to design and build a new car that meet the new rule rules and regulations. Um, so that one was, that one was really tough, but now I've got a halfway decent car, a couple of really good drivers and a decent facility. So I've been doing okay. Um, I started out in the European cup, which is the lowest ranked championship. There's the Asian Cup, which is the second, and then there's the World Cup, which is the number one. And when you're in the number one spot, you can choose to advance up to the next championship level. So I'm hoping that in two more seasons, I can go up to the next cup, which have uh, different spec parts. Spec parts are given to you, like they can't be changed or improved at all. Um, so for the European Cup, it's both of your spoilers, the front spoiler and the rear spoiler. You can't develop or change those at all. Um, and in the next cup, uh, the Asian cup, it's the engine. You can't develop the engine at all. And engine design is where my lead uh, developer is the weakest. So I've been trailing behind in that 
all for my entire time. But the longer you have these people on your team, the better their skills get. They all have a cap with how good their skills can get. So in the first season, I, I hired or contracted a bunch of really shitty people that had really high skill caps. And I've just been sticking with them as their skills rise. And I'm hoping to keep this team going for a long time. I got two like prodigy drivers that are, one of them was, she was 16 and the other one, I think she was 19 and they started out at like half a star, but they both have star cap ratings at like four and a half and five stars. So I'm like, hopefully I don't lose them. Sounds like my game in uh, Motorsport Manager 3, but we'll get there. Yeah. Um, so I don't have the DLC that adds in the GT racing and the endurance racing. I like those better based on Motorsport Manager 3, which we'll get there. Um, but still, I like the open wheel, wheel racing. It's It's a lot of fun. Um, a couple of other things that can really change the game. You get, throughout the year, chances to vote on changes for rules for your series. So, and and it can they can be small things, like we'd like to use, you know, would you like to use layout A or B of this track? Which can make a big difference, but in the grand scheme of things, it's, you know, it's one race for the next season that's different. Or you can change things like, do we want to allow refueling anymore or not for your next season? And then that can be huge because in the European circuit, you're allowed to refuel. But if they take that away, then one of the primary focuses has to be on developing your next season's car with fuel efficiency, which can take out a lot of other performance advantages and things. So it could could completely change your entire racing strategy for the entire season. There's ones that change how many sets of tires you can bring, how the point systems are counted. So... There's some pretty pretty big changes that can happen with the voting system, and that can dynamically change your strategy for the next season. Typically, what I've been doing is like as soon as the next season starts, I'll just sort of pause for a minute and won't advance time, stare at all the tracks and look at my car and my budget and everything and figure out every race and then go from there. I love it. I love this sort of thing. So I've been playing the shit out of that. And during the time that I was limited to just my recliner for the first couple of days when I really couldn't move very much, I was playing several mobile titles, and I played Motorsport Manager 3 Mobile, or Motorsport Manager Mobile 3, which you had also played. Yeah, I've been playing this on and off for a few months now, actually. So you're, you're a little bit farther than me. I, I played it straight for quite a while until I ran my phone dead one day. Um, and I've gotten through three or four seasons. Um, I didn't think to go check. Yeah, I'm at five, and I'm on the and I'm third tier of uh, racing, which I've just went up to the third tier, so I'm in that kind of struggle phase of uh, figuring out where I am. Yeah, but, I'm in the second tier. Uh, you're... Yeah, but your uh, method for your driver is pretty good. I've been with my main driver, and I'm working on getting a replacement for my second driver. I will say that Motorsport Manager 3 had a lot more variance on what it could do, because each tier of racing you have, there's various options. So there's endurance racing, where instead of two uh, racers or two drivers out on the field, uh, like your Formula 1, it's a team of six racers, and they're essentially tagging in and out of the, uh, one car. I'm not sure if you uh, ran into that yet. Yeah, I have done... So there's... In 
in Motorsport Manager 3, there are, like, season... I forget what they are, but they're, like, world champion events or something. Uh, Invitationals. Yeah, and one of the Invitationals I've done was Endurance. Um, I have stuck to GT Car Racing in Mobile 3. Um, I don't know which which series you've stuck with. Or uh, I'm I'm in uh, open wheel, so I'm in the Asian Cup right now. Okay. Uh, but uh, like I said, I had literally just gone up uh, to the third rank just as, uh, or for the just season. So I'm still in the you know acclimation phase of updating my sponsors, uh, f- uh, feeling out where I am car wise. Uh, but my main driver, uh, who I got from the Young Driver pr- uh, program going into my second season, is an absolute beast. He has a potential of five stars, but he started off with two. He's now at three and a half. Mm-hmm. And he, even with a crappy car, is able to at least get on the podium. It has kind of propped up my entire team. But he also has a huge money sink because he knows that he's uh, the linchpin of my team, so he's requiring a lot of money. Yeah. Uh, one thing that I don't like about Motorsport Manager 3 is that it's been very, very difficult for me to swap out my crew, my mechanics, and my engineers. I just never get any good ones. I'm not sure if that's by design or if I've just had bad luck, but I've had the same mechanics for the last three seasons. Yeah, and I've got a decent team, um, mechanics and designer-wise. My drivers are okay. My my <laughs> secondary driver is from my young driver program, and one day she's going to be better than my lead driver. But right now, he's still the the, the better driver on my team. Um, I think my mechanics are both like three stars, and my designer is three stars or something like that. I mean, they're good. They're not great, but they're they're good so it's been good enough um and i've i've been focusing on doing a lot of uh parts development for the car and and spending more money on you know developing things instead of hiring better people yeah well right now i came up a rank and i'm only a couple of races into the season i still have i'm carrying a lot of the old weight especially sponsors so i'm losing uh, like $800,000 a race if I don't get any of my uh, contracts. And uh, because yeah. I have most of the facility built, I'm able to, get, to make that up as long as I make essentially the podium. What thankfully my absolute beast of a driver is able to do, but it's also been a very big shift because going from the second tier to the third tier, they enabled the power system. But it's set to automatic, so you know the drivers are doing that, and only the power mode is not the hybrid mode, so it's not uh, affecting fuel efficiency. And I went into a uh, race tier that has refueling, so that's kind of thrown off my strategy because my uh, young driver, who's kind of just you know become an absolute monster, uh, he's really good at stretching tires, but the problem is that he's running into fuel problems because he outlasts the tires and doesn't have enough fuel. So I'm not sure if that's just a failing on fuel efficiency or if it's just, yeah, my strategy kind of falling apart. Yeah. Um, that's interesting. Cause at tier two, I have the curse system or the, the power 
the hybrid system and the GT cars. Yeah, uh, well, I'm not in the GT cars. I'm in the open wheel. So I've already been already been using that to help with fuel efficiency and things like that. But the GT cars also have refueling by default. I don't I don't know if there's a, a rule change or if a different tier doesn't have refueling. Well, I think by... also as you go through the uh, different uh, uh, race leagues, also still have their rule changes because. As I went into this, they were voting on a new rule to add another race to make it an 11 race season. So it may just be luck of the draw as well. Yeah. But it's uh, very, very interesting. Uh, I've got most of the network now, just by you know, the sheer fact that I'm in uh, yeah, the fifth season. Uh, uh, I'm working on like last two hubs. I set up, I think it was uh, Europe uh, as my initial one. And I've just been branching out. I have most of uh, mm-hmm. North and South America done. Uh, I have, uh, I'm branching down to Africa. I have most of it done. Uh, Asia where, you know, the inks kind of slow down, but there's a lot there. And those, uh, essentially, it's, uh, I guess a game of risk would be a good way to uh, have an analogy. As uh, you acquire resources, you're gaining tokens to unlock various power-ups or various bonuses in different hubs. And they require different amounts of shipping, airports, and uh, trucks. There are the tokens from around the map. So, uh, for some, it's, you know, you'll get a fly my money, you'll get uh, a bonus to your car's uh, uh, different attributes, but for others, it's you'll have an option to hire a famous engineer. You'll have uh, an option to recruit a, a famous driver, that sort of thing. And it's and uh, I've been picking and choosing what I want, really. I've just now started, yeah. uh, since I have the curve system now, uh, focusing on the, tr- uh, the hub in South Africa to enhance the curve system, to try to give myself a bit more of an edge. So yeah, uh, it's kind of thrown a curveball into things just because I wasn't, uh, I didn't look yeah. at that league closely enough. I knew that there was uh, the refueling, but I didn't realize the curve system was there. But so far, yeah, I mean, it's a game I've been picking up and playing uh, over the course of several months. So you know, obviously, I like it. Yeah, I'm definitely going to keep playing it on mobile too. But I've, I'm primarily been focusing on the PC version well, and there, you know, there's a steam sale coming up soon. I'm going to get all of the DLC yeah. and then get into the GT. And yeah. And that's the thing is that I like the bubble version better than the PC version, just because it's a lot more pickup and play. It, it feels a little yeah. bit, I guess too passive for a PC game. If that makes any sense. Um, I disagree, but I think that it has to do with like, what you're interested in, how invested you get into yeah, it. Yeah, true. Um, there there are definitely times where it feels a lot more passive when I'm just like, okay, for this race, I just need to set my drivers on this and I'm going to ignore everything that they say because I know that I need to make these tires last mm-hmm. or this fuel last so I can't get aggressive. But there's some races it's like, you know, jogging for position and I'm micromanaging like, okay, you need to push. You need heat in those tires so you can overtake in this turn or... You know, like maybe it's just I don't know enough about racing, so the more in-depth version on PC is kind of lost on me as well. Yeah, 
That could be it. The I mean, I don't feel like the mobile version is dumbed down per se, but it's streamlined a lot more. And yeah, I think I, I think I did less... like the uh, mechanic system in Motorsport Manager Two versus Three, where Three they switched cards. It is more emphasis on the on getting essentially a mechanic that has enough wrenches to be able to be able to be a little bit more. Risky. So for those who don't know, in Motorsport yeah. Manager Two. Uh, you're given essentially a range of, we think the car needs to be in this sort of setup. And you're essentially playing hot and cold to try to find the different attributes. But you can kind of deduce a bit of it based on your knowledge of the track. So a lot of long straightaways, you want less downforce, and that sort of thing. In this, uh, Motorsport Manager 3, they swapped it out to a custom where different mechanics have different sets of wrenches, which is essentially mana. And you have a choice between three and four cards, depending on how many uh, facilities you've uh, researched in the uh, uh, the driver's area, in the uh, research area. So, and each one has a wrench count. So some may be a very small boost, but it's like zero to five. So it may cost zero to five wrenches, and you won't know until you flip it over. It'll give you a, that much of a percentage for your overall car, and once you hit 100%, uh, it's a perfect setup and you don't need to worry about it anymore. And at every, I think it's 20%, there's a bonus to, okay, the car is this much faster. So at like 20 or 20 or at 19 or 24%, I can't remember which, it does absolutely nothing until you are over the threshold and suddenly it's uh, 0.1%, uh, 0.1 uh, second faster or 0.25 seconds faster. And it feels a lot more gamey, which is kind of weird to say, but it feels less involved. Yeah. And so, yeah, that, that's and what I you're don't... describing from Motorsport, Motorsport Manager Mobile 2 is how it is in the original version mm-hmm. on, on PC. You've got what the, the higher rating your mechanics are, sort of the smaller the sweet mm-hmm. spot zone is for those various um, setups for your car. But you're looking to get as close to 100% optimized for the track mm-hmm. as possible. Yeah. Yeah, and for this, it's uh, more of a card game, which is a lot easier to get. But at the same time, it's uh, uh, a bit more frustrating because it's just, you know, uh do I want to gamble on trying to get big setup, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, is that it for Motorsport Manager 3? So, I ended up kind of taking this one, but I think I've played it a lot more. Yeah, you've played it more. And I mean, it goes you know, room. that's fine. You take it. It's yours, sir. But yeah, I think that's it. I don't have anything else to discuss about it at this point in time. Oh, uh, well, how about we jump into the absolute dumpster fire then? Unless you need to take a break. No, I'm good for now. So, um, uh, uh, so yeah, we can yeah, go this ahead is and like dive a gif in. of walking into the apartment and everything's on fire, only it's blizzard. Yeah. Um, so this new story is several weeks old at this point. I'll go ahead and... Yeah, it pretty, it pretty much started the week before I went to the anime con, which... Uh, might I add, one of my favorites I saw was the protest May. <laughs> yeah. That was running around. 
Unfortunately, I didn't get a picture of her. But, uh, Blizzard has kind of gone off the deep end on PR. Let's let's be perfectly frank here. They 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 told uh, Bethesda, "Hold my Red Bull." <laughs> so, watch this. <sighs> it all started with Hearthstone because, of course, it does. Right, with Blizzard, it's either Hearthstone or WoW these days. At the Chinese, uh, I'm trying to remember what the exact uh, tournament was. A uh, a, a Hong Kong-based Hearthstone player was in his post-game interview, and he donned a mask and showed his support for the Hong Kong protests. Who those for those who don't know. Hong Kong has been in protest for, what has it been, like six it's months It's been now? a while. I don't know if it's six months, but it has been a while. Uh, well, it, well, it started with an extradition uh, law that was trying to be pushed through that sparked mass protests, and then it kind of snowballed into a democracy movement. Honestly, I'm really surprised that the protests are still going on and the Chinese haven't just squashed it, but yeah. That, that, that's getting a little bit more political than we really need to, at least at the moment. Anyway, the uh, Chinese uh, player Blitzkong, Blitzkong, uh, donned a mask and said that uh, showed his support for the uh, Hong Kong, uh, riot, uh, well, Hong Kong, the Chinese are the ones that are calling them riots, saying that it's the revolution for our age, free Hong Kong. And Blizzard went absolutely insane. Yeah. The two uh, casters that were there, like, ducked under the table. Um, yeah. They knew that there's about to be a shitstorm yeah. and they were trying yeah, to Yeah, themselves. and quickly cut to commercial, but didn't save them because they got fired and they banned uh, Blitzkong, Blitzkong sorry, for a year from professional play, which he's pretty much said he's not sure if he's ever going to play it again. Yeah. Because, yeah. Why would you want to? Uh, why would you want to deal with the devil, right? Yep. And initially, they took away all of his prize money, but they gave that back later. Oh, uh, did they actually give it back? I know another uh, CCG. Uh, well, actually, this was a TCG that's kind of upcoming right now. Uh, offered to uh, offered uh, to allow him to play in their tournament and gave him the prize money that he would have gotten from Blizzard. Which Blizzard? I think Blizzard gave him his prize money back and changed his suspension from a year to. I know they changed his suspension from one year to six months. Yeah, but still, and right. I think they gave him his prize money back. Yeah, yeah, which it was. But you know, this all happened later. Initially, it was a whole year, and they took all. Yeah, his which prize was money. based off of a very vaguely worded clause in the player's handbook that basically said anything that you do that pisses off Blizzard, they have the right to take all your money and ban you. And gave no specifics yep. on what could. Upset big blue well, bastards. <laughs> Let's be perfectly honest here. Uh, and I do understand where Blizzard is coming from. I'm not about to support them in this and uh, stretch the imagination, but China is an absolutely huge market and they are partially owned by Tencent, which is essentially the Chinese government. So I do understand why they're bending over backwards. Doesn't make it right. I don't support them on it. And if I played Blizzard games, yeah, I would have some serious doubts about them still. Yeah. So I will say, first of all, I I 
do think that they have the ability to do what they want. Like I disagree. Yeah, yeah they have the I right disagree to do with this. every step along this way. The every decision that they've made. But they have I do think that it's important that they have the ability to fuck up this badly. Um because I think that freedom of expression and speech and choice are important. So um I think that's important to say right off the bat. Fuck them, but I think that's important yeah. to say that they have the right to do this. But that doesn't make it the moral or the right decision. I do understand, like, oh my god, we don't wanna, you know, poke the bear essentially with, with this market in China. But I have no sympathy for a multi billion dollar international company losing some money in a Chinese marketplace to trample all, all over the human rights of, of yeah, people. Uh, so yeah, especially on that one. Well, I think this is also a very stark reminder that, and this doesn't just apply to Blizzard. This is all companies, all corporations of, I would say the mom and pop level or, or let's go for gaming wise above the indie scene and even the indie scene. Yeah, this applies somewhat. These developers are not your friends. They are not there for anything but to make money. Yes, mm -hmm. some are more socially aware. Some will make amends. Some will try to extend an olive branch. Blizzard got a lot of uh, support from the uh, gay, lesbian, trans uh, community for... More socially aware uh, stances, especially with some of the characters I watch. That does not make them your friends. And I think that's something that a lot of gamers don't understand. That they see these as their friends. They see the uh, figureheads. They see, uh, you know, they see the, the presentations at E3 and think, these are our friends showing us this cool thing that they're working on. But they're not. They These are corporations. These are businesses. And capitalism is a very cold beast. I'm not saying that, you know, I'm not about to say communism forever, but at the same time, what... No, I was about to say, thank you, Jared. I, I, was, I, I was about to say that you have to yeah, you know, be careful forever. on what you support. You have to take a look at the stances of these companies. <laughs> and, you know, there's a lot of shit going on behind the scenes in a lot of these major corporations in gaming. So, yeah, you know, this is just, yeah, you know, this is the hot button issue right now, but this isn't the only one out there, not by a long shot. It's just, yeah, you know, this is what everybody's talking about right now, including us. These companies are not your friends. It doesn't matter uh, how many characters they make gay. They are doing it for the money. They are doing it as a cold, calculated move because yeah. it will make them more money. They're not being socially aware. Most of the time. There are times that they are being socially aware. They are trying to better the world. But even then, you know, that is still a calculation. That is still something that they considered in their market research. Mm -hmm. 
yeah. they are not friends. Yeah, I I think there are companies out there that are, like you said, more socially aware, better at that, better at being conscientious about things like human rights, mm-hmm. the environment, um, trans rights, um, you know, on, on and on and on and on. There are companies that are better at that. But at the end of the day, all of these companies are trying to sell you something. Um, the target demographic for a long time, most of, if not the entirety of sort of capitalistic society where marketing was um, a huge important thing. Most of your target demographic has been sort of the straight, white, classically sort of more, um, in general, conservative person. And so a lot of these groups, I think, um, this is strictly from the personal opinion of Jared with some of my, my therapy psychological background. I think a lot of these people have never experienced the type of direct marketing that uh, the air quotes normies are so used to. Um, and so whenever you do have an ad that's written by someone like you, targeted at someone like you, it makes you feel something. I mean, that's what the ad is trying to do, make you feel something so that you will connect with and purchase the product, whatever the product is. And so there's huge groups of people that are now being targeted as as the demographic to sell to. And so I think that in a way, they're more susceptible to this type of thing, feeling connected to these companies, whereas someone who is more sort of traditionally uh, cis male uh, or you know cisgendered white person is very used to being marketing towards. And while you can definitely feel that connection with a company, it's something that you've kind of become numb to. And so it doesn't leave you feeling as special. And so these people are more more vulnerable in a sense. And companies, because they're not your friend, because they're only interested in making as much money as possible, are going to exploit that psychological fact as much as possible to get as much as possible as they can out of you. And that's just general across the board for any company. Um, I, even your mom and pop shops are still going to try and do that in some way. I think they're less diabolical, they're smaller, their target market is a lot smaller. You know, they're not reaching out to the whole world. But mom and pop shops a lot of times capitalize on what you can feel like coming into an air quote mom and pop shop. And they're using that to entice you to purchase their goods and or services. Mm -hmm. That's just part of business. But when you're less used to being the target demographic, you feel more special by it. So I I read an interesting study that talked about this um, last year, maybe, uh, or earlier this year. Whenever it was that the Gillette... Um, ad campaign was where that they were talking about, um, you know, we can do better as men, um, that sort of thing. And there was a a controversy about that because there's a controversy about everything. I read a study that was looking into that and how ad targeting is evolving, um, to react to a, a globalized, socially conscious social media world. And it talked about some different advertising from the last 10 years and where companies have done better and where companies have done worse. And it it posited some of this, some of the stuff that I'm talking about as where they were coming from, not quite to the extreme that I was, uh, sort of as a a research study, they were trying to take, I think, a more balanced approach discussing potential various angles. But I think that it really comes down to that exploitation of a person's feeling and and how connected they can become to a product or a company. 
and Blizzard has done this fairly well in the last couple of years. Like we were talking about, you know, with, with their, particularly their characters in Overwatch, um, reaching out to the LGBTQ community through Tracer, some of their other characters, um, uh, I think Soldier 76 is uh, in canon in this game now. I didn't know that, but... I saw that one being talked about a, a fair bit uh, when I was researching this a little bit more. Uh, talking just, yep, you know, uh, all the characters that have either been... Yep, you know, it feels like they've been tailored for uh, the community or has been altered to be a little bit more open. Yeah. But I gotta admit, I, I don't play Overwatch. I, I know all of these characters. I don't either. But now we're kind of seeing the dark side of that the, it, much more openly, I should say, with this whole issue with what happened with the casters, with China, with Hong Kong, where they're saying, oh, God, we want to pander to these guys because their market is huge. So we're going to directly hurt other people to make it happen. And it was very obvious and it has caused a huge, you know, this huge recent stink. The... uh the U.S. Well, I don't think. I mean, we've talked a lot, so maybe you mentioned this at the beginning, and it just kind of yeah, got it already. Got but got when the U.S. government yet. wrote, or well, not the U.S. government, but members of Congress wrote a letter. Okay, yeah, members of of Congress, both Republican and Democrat, sent uh, a letter to Blizzard. Essentially, not exactly. I don't. I don't feel like it was an outright condemnation, but it was kind of like a little finger wag, like. Kind of like how a parent can condescendingly talk to a child is how that letter came across not, to me. I'm not, uh, I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. Yeah, like you're a big company. You should be thinking about America more. Is kind of how that came across to mm-hmm. me. But it also comes uh, through. Uh, this comes right at the time that the NBA was also pandering to China because of investment from you know, Chinese media. So uh, this yeah. isn't just Blizzard. This is kind of the uh, of a lot of Chinese investments in Western uh, entertainment that's been that's become popular in China over the last several years, kind of coming to a head because of a hot button issue in Hong Kong. So this isn't just Blizzard being kind of shitty. This is a lot of people following the money back to China and either being tied too much to it or have been bought out uh, outright. So yeah, this this just this is a lot bigger than Blizzard. Yeah. I do think it's interesting that this that Blizzard uh a company that would you think of or or Blizzard Activision being hugely successful under capitalism is capitulating to a communist government. I find that ironic. Um, well, what's ironic is that they have employees uh, actually walking out and covering up uh, some of the words on one of the statues uh, in the company campus. <laughs> uh, talk about every voice matters and think globally. Yeah. I mean, they've. I'm not sure if they're still doing it, but they were doing it for a fair amount of time. And it's been kind of. <laughs> crazy just trying to keep up with all this because it seems like every time I looked there was something new going on with Blizzard. Uh, uh, There's also been other companies. uh, League of Legends have also been uh, 
condemning uh, people that's been talking about uh, Hong Kong. There's uh, YouTube has uh, kind of been uh, pushing the same uh, route. And it's just kind of, like I said, all the investments that China's made over the years, trying to shut down this protest that's been going on for a fair amount of time now. Yeah. It, it's just, it's just Blizzard, like I said, it has been kind of the sacrificial lamb, at least in the gaming side of things, while, you know, uh, League of Legends is still the same, you know, doing a similar thing. And we're seeing uh, esports uh, athletes, esports players, jump ship from Blizzard to go to League of Legends, which is the exact same thing, it's publicized. Uh, Blizzard was having a mass protest where people were deleting their accounts to the point that uh, they actually crashed the uh, system that's uh, for shutting down accounts. And they were requiring people to send in copies of photo IDs, which in some states, that's illegal, by the way. Didn't know that. Uh, according to some of the comments, yeah, I, and I double-checked it. And yeah, some, uh, a couple countries, it's illegal to photo an ID. And in a couple of states, it's kind of a, eh, you probably shouldn't be doing that. So, yeah, that's just an absolute dumpster fire from so many angles, it's uh, not even funny. But this makes Fallout 76 look, uh, you know, a pedestrian, doesn't it? <laughs> makes them look positively uh, wonderful. Yeah, which, that would be a good segue, but yeah, we're kind of still wrapping things up, huh? Yeah, I don't... What are we? What are we missing on the whole story, like the big events? Uh, um, I mean, the catalyst was uh, BlizzCon, but it's kind of uh, just been an ongoing thing against Blizzard. That uh, honestly, it's. I mean, I was getting stuff still <clears throat> popping up, so it makes me wonder just how they're going to try to resource on this because. Uh, at first, they were just trying to spin Doctor it and try to just outlast it, but it seems to have become a life of its own. Yeah, I mean, they did a couple things, like do the classic drop a news story mm-hmm. on Friday evening to try and bury it. They did that a couple of times. <clears throat> that was when they dropped the update. They were changing the suspension from a year to six months, and they were giving back mm-hmm. his prize money or yeah, some that, of yeah, his prize money. Yeah, I didn't see that. So they, oh, yeah, oh, they, they did that. They released oh, that yeah, on Friday Yeah, they canceled night. at least one, uh, a, uh, a big announcement or big, uh, con. And, yeah, people are, uh, suggesting, uh, Kickstarter campaigns to pass out Winnie the Pooh's t shirts at BlizzCon, <laughs> which is hilarious. But for those who don't know, <laughs> the president of China, Z, uh, Z Xiaoping, or, uh, probably this pronouncing him again. He absolutely hates Winnie the Pooh. He's been compared to it, uh, to the uh, bear. So he's banned it in China. So both May and Winnie the Pooh is kind of uh, a protest symbol in China or in Hong Kong. So yeah, BlizzCon is going to be is interesting, which mm-hmm. we're, hang on, when is BlizzCon happening? Because it's still going to be, it's going to be November 1st. Holy shit. Yeah, I mean, they still are going to be. <laughs> Uh, in the middle of all this. I was going to say, it's soon. It's coming up. I mean, they just announced the schedule, and uh, I, because I was looking for something else, and 
there's people yeah. I believe talking about you know, uh, protesting, but here's the thing is that you're, you know, you're being blizzard and that's what they want. You know, they want. Yeah. I would love to see, they're not going to do this. Right? There's no way in hell they'll do this, but I would love to just see them have like an open mic, open question forum on this and just watch the chaos. Uh, actually, hang on. Let's see if they have an open Q and a, cause I'm looking at the door. Uh, I suspect they're going to have prepared questions or vetted questions, or they might just cancel uh, Q&As altogether. I'm not seeing any QAs on the first day. Let's just put it this way. There's a lot of empty time for BlizzCon this year. Uh, there's a lot of coming soons, actually, main, or on the main stage. So uh, I'm uh, assuming that they're going to be announcing a lot of things, probably mobile. Uh, do you not have phones? Hmm. <laughs> I mean, I would say I would be protesting Blizzard, but I, like I said, I don't play their games anymore. I played uh, a Blizzard game was with World of Warcraft, and that was like eight months ago now. Yeah. Hey, hey, but they're doing Hearthstone update, so hey, they get all the money again. All the money. Only Hearthstone kind of well, also kind of falling off. So yeah, this whole thing is just a mess, and it's going to be, a, I'm sure, an ongoing story for a while longer. Oh, uh, we'll I'm, probably I'm come so, back to it at least one more time in the coming yeah, weeks. Uh, I would imagine after BlizzCon is when we'll see something new, you know, because there, there'll probably be some sort of thing going on. Yeah. Uh, and I'm not seeing any Q&As, so, you know, it's, or, or dedicated Q&As, so it's probably going to be small ones at each panel, and I imagine if anybody mentions the word Hong... Their rap mic is going to be cut. Yeah. They can still shout really loudly, though. I mean, mm-hmm. somebody's going to try and pull something. Yeah. Saying, I can't wait to hear what it is. How many Winnie the Pooh things there's going to be? Uh, hundreds. All the fursuits. Yeah. They're all going to be Winnie the Pooh. Um, but yeah. I uh, I can't think of anything else to say or add at this moment. Yeah, same. So, uh, moving along then? Yeah. Let's move on to our second news topic. Fallout 76 officially backpedals on cosmetic-only microtransaction promise. Well, uh... Surprise, uh, surprise. Yeah, Bethesda's trying to be a shitty company, uh, but yeah, they've been out shit this week. So, uh, anybody surprised? Anybody? Hands? Bueller? Bueller? No? Okay. So, remember the Let's Go Whaling video? I mean, this is pretty much, you know, what they were talking about. They are selling shortcuts. So, let, let's uh, go ahead and just read the statement regarding Challenges Adams, the Adam Stop, and you. We love that there's so many types of players within Fallout 76. There's multiple players in Fallout 76? Apparently. I thought there was only one. And one of our primary goals is to reward everyone, no matter how you play. This includes our approach to earning atoms through challenges and the types of items to unlock uh, with them in the comic store. Our approach to these uh, items at launch was to uh, keep them purely cosmetic. But after looking at all the data and all the fucking money we got from uh, selling some power, it became clear that to constantly deliver content that keeps Fallout 76 fresh and exciting for all, (laughs) sorry, uh, we needed to rethink our approach to the Atomic Shop. Oh boy, right? 
Indeed. While we had many ideas on what to add to the Atomic Shop, one of the ways was the direct result of the committee's feedback. We heard from many of you who uh, wanted items with some real utility. Starting in April, we began adding items such as repair kits, scrap kits, the electron station, and a working refrigerator. These have since become the most popular category in the item shop, and we're also still working on all the previously announced items in the new cosmetic categories. So pretty much those who bought uh, the shortcuts and the uh, uh, power, well, congratulations. You made a shit game even worse, right? Yes, indeed. Uh, let's see. Uh, we want to create an item shop experience where players feel good about spending the, their hard-earned atoms. Let's be honest, you're not earning them, you're buying them, but, uh, make uh, the system more fun and engaging for all players, we plan on reworking parts of the challenge and reward system next year to be clearer, more fun, and more impactful to all types of players. Of course, players can also buy atoms, and we hope you do, and we're careful, and we're careful with everything we add to not upset the game's balance. I'm sorry, but what? <laughs> right? Our main objective is to avoid a situation where players could spend money to gain a competitive advantage. Really? Because, you know, the Collectrotron, the working refrigerator, the scrap kit. Uh, or make the game worse for other players. How can you make it worse? You're, you're playing Fallout 76. Right? Even more so, we want systems that allow players who do choose to buy atoms to make the game better for others, not just themselves. With these principles in mind, we're, uh, we made we make careful decisions about the items we offer to keep it fair for everyone. So, uh, promises. So, why? So, yeah, not uh, not only have they rescinded these that previous promise or broke that previous promise. I think it's funny when they talk about. Let's see, where is it here? Starting in April, we began adding items such as repair kits, scrap kits, and the collectrotron station. That's like we wanted yeah, to. Yeah, the add collectrotron station. It's is an item that we never got this, but it was an item that you could add to your base that it would just go around the arm near your base and just collect stuff. Yeah. So, but they say, you know, we heard from many of you that you wanted items with some real utility. And I remember when this stuff came out, they were trying so hard to be like, no, 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 it doesn't change anything. It's just an option. It's just an option. And they were like, yeah, we totally put some stuff that items from utility. You asked for it. Fuck you, you gaslighting assholes. Nobody asked for that. If I want, if I wanted to be gaslit, I would be reading political news right now. Amen, brother. Preach it. <laughs> oh, it's just what the ever living fuck, right? Yeah. And the sad thing is, they're not even the top shit company this week. <laughs> no. Most weeks, this would probably be the biggest shitty, shitty story, but this is number two. Yeah, boy, did they pick a good week to do this, huh? I wouldn't be surprised if they did it on purpose. After everything happened with. Um, what, uh, Blizzard? Blizzard. They just went, well, we've been meeting, we've been trying to figure out when we're going to do this. Nobody, <laughs> no time like the present. Oh. Yeah. It, who would trust Bethesda at this point? Outside of the people that bought those items to begin with. It's just, 
it's astonishing that Bethesda is still thought of as a a, a a game company that okay they release games that are a little rough around the edges at launch, but they'll, they'll eventually fix them or you know have the community fix them. Did they ever release mod uh, uh, support for Fallout seventy six? I don't know. I mean, full on mod support, not uh, yeah the cheap mods that. People were able to uh, force in the game because it's yeah, Fallout 4. Uh, they want to support mods, but the server... Uh, da, 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 uh, uh, but the server which has complicated things. So, uh, they can't do the mods, but hey, they can do the microtransactions, right? <sighs> right. This is why I said Fallout 76 is our shit game. Um, because honestly... Yeah, I mean... Uh, who plays a Bethesda yeah. RPG for PlayStation? Like the one person that's still playing Fallout 76. That's been buying everything in the Atomic Shop to try to keep it going, right? Yeah. Well, that's the thing, is that at the con, there was several people with Fallout 76 uh, jumpsuits, so... yeah. But, yeah, uh, it's kind of a captive audience because it's like one of the few games that's actually improved the state of West Virginia. I'm resisting the urge to sing right now. I'll leave this chat now. Yep. Don't wanna don't want that to happen in the middle of recording. But I mean I don't at this point I wouldn't play Fallout seventy six if I could for free. Same. I I, I honestly, honestly I think they are, bullshit. Uh getting ready to make it free to play. With this move, it this feels like a one last cash grab before they go for free to play. Yeah. And it's a shitty thing to do to uh, the remaining player base that actually somehow enjoys the game. I mean, I, maybe it's just yeah, a certain audience or yeah, or ones that are able to look past all the problems and enjoy what lore uh, they actually got right. I'm not sure what they did get right, but I'm sure there's something there. I mean, I never heard them talk about pepperoni rolls, so... Yeah, I mean, there's definitely a group of people who enjoy the game. We joke and we say things, but I think the type of person that enjoys this game... It is a very small yeah, part Yeah, but of I think the people though. who enjoy this game are either super diehard Fallout fans, and this is the sort of, that's all they've got, and they, they've played the older games so much, it's just like they want the new thing, even if it's not the best. And then you've also got the group of players who enjoy the Fallout universe and are like, you know, I've had a hard day at work, I just want to chill out on this game for a couple hours and then go to bed. Or the ones sort that of used to play DayZ and uh, would steal people's pants. Yeah. And don't like the fact that it went Battle Royale. So there, uh, there is an audience there, but it's just... I think Fallout 76 would have been a lot more well-received if it wasn't a Fallout game. As crazy as that sounds, right? No, that makes perfect sense. It wouldn't have had the expectation of, you know, a story or, you know, NPCs. Yeah. If they, if, so if it was some, Fallout oh, and sorry. everything but name, uh, it, it just makes me wonder: just who would actually go into Skyrim or the next? Or, uh, I'll shoot down blank on the space game that we're on. Star something. The Bethesda game, the one that you were kind of excited for. The new Elder Scrolls game. The, um, uh, no, no, the sci-fi one. Oh, um. I don't even remember. That's how excited I am now. I don't remember. Yeah, well, let's put it this way. It was a 
yeah, a teaser of a pre-rendered cutscene. About yeah. that one. But yeah, who would go into those two games now and expect Bethesda to hold up any promises that they make? Well, I'm kind of the one, there are yeah, kind I mean, of the people I'm, that never heard about this, of course. Yeah. I mean, I'm hoping for the best, but my expectations are very low at this point. Because I want the next Elder Scrolls game. At last, the transformation is complete. <laughs> Indeed. All right. Next topic. I'm just looking at the time. Yeah, we got plenty of time. No, these two are going to be fairly short. Moving on to our next topic, though. The Humble Monthly is becoming the Humble Choice. Um, whenever you, you know, look, pointed this out to me, I, I said, I thought that this had, was already like known or in the works, but mm-hmm. I think they, all they did was they tiered the Humble Monthly. Um, but now they've changed it up again. Uh, I assume that they were just losing too much money doing the Humble Monthly bundle because you were getting something like over a hundred dollars worth of games because you would get a fairly new, um, or brand new, like, AAA title um, and some expansion for it, or sometimes a couple of, of titles like that. And then you get a you know a bunch of older indie games, but they were always saying, like, the value of this bundle is over $100. Um, I, mm-hmm. I just assume they were losing money, because you get all that for, like, 12 or $13 a month. Um, and you got access to their Humble Trove, which was a bunch of DRM-free games. And then you get a discount on the store. So now they've taken, gotten rid of that. Um, if you've still got it, you will, can be grandfathered in. And as long as you don't cancel your subscription, you get the equivalent of the humble monthly bundle, which, uh, is closest to the premium, I believe. Uh, It looks like it's one extra game. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, basically, if you have humble monthly and you want to keep it, hold on to it. because you're going to get absolutely screwed otherwise, because that's a hell of a price jump. Uh, it goes from $12 a month or uh, $132 a year to $179.99, a year, or 20 bucks a month to get basically the same thing. Actually, one less game. So, yeah. I mean, that's that's tough, huh? Yeah. Definitely. Um, I don't necessarily think that their new, like, premium whatever is, like, a, a raw deal. It's, um, a, it's a hard but pill it's, to uh, swallow after Humble Classic. Let's put it that way. Yeah. So, you know, nine games in a month. Um, access to the Humble Trove and a 20% discount on other games that you buy. Um and unlimited access to their published original games and their betas. Like, that's not, like, a horrible. Um, but, yeah, compared to the classic, it is, like you, like you just said, a hard pill to swallow. Because it is a much less value. You're getting fewer games for and paying more money. But, I mean, you know, like I just said, they had to have been losing money on the regular. And that's why they, they made the change. And uh, the... Basic, from what I could tell, it's basically the pre-announcement. So, like, for this month, it would have been the uh, well, uh, Call of Duty World War II, Spyro Night Trilogy, and uh, 
Crash Bandicoot Insane uh, trilogy, which you know, is still a fairly good thing, but that's, uh, you know, considering what they usually have, at least one decent game uh, behind the curtain, it's tough to really give it up, you know? Yeah. Because I, I had it for a while, and I got several good games out of it, to be sure. Mm-hmm. I also got some trash, but got some good games. I mean, the, uh, here's the thing, is that they are having a light version as well. It's just the Humble Trove, essentially, with a limited uh, access to the published originals and betas, which we don't know what that'll be. And also, they're cutting the amount of uh, discount you get in the Humble Store. Uh, so they're basically splitting the Humble uh, Monthly into a very high tier or a subscription service for the Humble Trove, which has actually some pretty decent stuff in it. I mean, that's as far as I can tell, right? Yeah, I download before I stopped having Humble Monthly, I downloaded all of the games from the Trove that I was interested mm-hmm. in. Um, something like 10 games. Um... Then there's some good stuff on there. Yeah. There's also some trash, but... Yeah, and basically... <sighs> here's the thing, is that it's an interesting choice, uh, or an interesting thing going into the choice system, is that if you go into this cheaper tier, which is still more expensive than the current one, I'm going to add, where you're able to pick out... Uh, three games from the current month and you know, try to get the cream of the crop, you know, try to get rid of that, tr- uh, some of the trash. It, you know, it's still, you're not saving anything if you're, if you're a current subscriber. I think, I think that's kind of yeah. where they're getting some bad press here is that if they made it the same price instead of bringing it up another three bucks a month or adding, what is it, th- uh, three bucks a year, which, honestly, if anybody's paying the early, you know, they're going to hold on to uh, the classic uh, uh, with an iron grip, huh? Yeah, for sure. So make sure you make your one payment every yeah. year. Keep it for as long as they have it active. Um, it's a hard thing to swallow, really, you know? Yeah. People really don't like it when you take stuff away from them. And I realize that, you know, a subscription model like this, prices change. Plans change. It's still going to piss people off when you uh, raise the price by essentially uh, eight bucks a month and give them one last game a month. Yeah. And subscription services do this regularly. They have a low, low introductory price and then they bump it up. And but Yeah, I, I mean, we're seeing the same thing with Microsoft uh, with the Game Pass where the first month was a dollar. Now it's five a month uh, during the beta uh, phase, and it'll go up to ten. It's just, you know, uh, essentially the boiling frog theory, really. Well, but that's much more gradual yeah, and true. already discussed versus out of, the, out of the blue. Hey, we're making this big change, and it's going to cost you a lot of money. And you're getting us for it. Yeah. And people don't like it when you take stuff away. I like my stuff. So that is also a true, true statement. All right. On to the last news topic of the night. Yeah, this one is pure conjecture based on EA changing some database stuff that 
there's some indication that maybe EA is uh, crawling back to Steam, which is interesting. Yeah. EA games, including Dragon Age 2, are probably coming back to Steam. Um, I mean, like you said, there have been some changes that indicate that EA might be returning to Steam with with a lot of their games or maybe their entire classic library. Uh, I mean, and we'll, we'll see for sure. And a test app uh, update for Origin integration as well. But wouldn't be useful if they don't come back to Steam, right? Yeah. I don't think so. I have a couple of thoughts on this. Number one, EA is probably thinking, like, I mean, Origin has got a, a fairly low user count compared to Steam. It's losing out to Epic. Um, Microsoft is coming into this into the space. I've got two thoughts about this. One, they're going, okay, we want to keep our own platform, but all these older games that have been popular on other platforms... Let's put them back there and, and get some more good public, get some publicity, some good publicity. Could always use that and some more money. Or they're thinking, God, we're getting our asses kicked by Epic Games and Microsoft is joining the fray on PC. Maybe we should just go back to Steam where it was easier and we didn't have to do anything. Those are my two thoughts for why this, uh, that, that is, of course, assuming made. that, that this isn't such some intern around with database files somewhere. Right, but I'm for the for the sake of discussion, I'm going to assume that it's a real thing. Yeah, I think it's just. And I, think I think it's, it's why just they it, it's getting it. lost in the shuffle as well. That yeah, now they're uh, instead of being, uh, let's say third behind GFG and uh, Steam, they're now fourth, maybe fifth. Uh, whenever you consider Stadia coming up uh, next month. Yeah, as well as Ubisoft also. Uh, Going to the subscription model, so you're seeing an increase there, and they have direct ties to Stadia, so they'll see an uptick as well. So I do think that this, is, uh, assuming of course this is true, because yeah, this is pure conjecture. This is people speculating off data file changes that you know could just be you know an intern's job to go in and catalog things. Yeah, uh, yeah, one minion in the evil corporation uh, pressed the wrong button, right? Right. But this could be them trying to broaden their uh, uh, sales options again because uh, the origin client is still not considered all that great. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, it's, yeah, I still think it's probably about the third best out there after. GOG Galaxy and Steam, but you know, those are two pretty big ones, and you know, Epic may eventually you know, decide to check off something on the roadmap. Even though they did go through and erase all the dates, which I find absolutely hilarious. Yeah. So, I do think this may be EA trying to just expand their horizons, and if that's true, if they do, you know, start offering at least some of their older stuff on another uh, platform, you know, it's a good thing because, you know, it gives more consumer choice, you know? I, I have trouble seeing a problem with that. It's funny it coming crawling back after, you know, very publicly burning their bridges with Steam, but at the same time, you know, uh, seeing some sort of uh, actual consumer options would be a, a improvement after the absolute, you know, 
dickery that has been the Epic Game Store. Yeah. I suppose only time will tell for sure what their motivations were and how well it works out, but... Yep. Find out next time on Dragon Ball Z. The longest five minutes ever. Um, all right. Well, that wraps it up for our news topics this week. Um, that means it's time to head on over to Community Corner. Uh, can have a quick little discussion about something, and then we have an audio letter from Kyle. Uh, but I swear I didn't do it. <laughs> just really quickly, I want to mention that this past week we played for Community Game Night. We played um, the Cards Against Humanity clone XXYYZZ or something like that. Pretend you're like Ziggy that. or something. Uh, we're yeah. not Jim's worst person in the community. So, where you go, Jim? Go, Jim. He just barely beat me. Which, I'm, I am ashamed. I have shame of that. I was beaten, <laughs> so I have to reclaim my title of the biggest, blackest dick. Uh, of which, uh, like, uh, even light cannot escape. Right. So, well, I mean, we had a good time. We had some laughs. I laughed so hard that I hurt myself from laughing. My throat hurt. I think part of all my throat hurt at work day is because I laughed so hard. I hurt myself last night. It was a good time. It was a good time. Um, need to do some updates to the list. All of the dates are screwed up because we wound up taking two weeks off. Um, and after talking last night with uh, some people, it sounds like DEFCON is not going to be the next game that we play. We haven't really talked about it very much. I need to take a look and just see, put something up that's fun and light and easy to get into. Um, please, 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 everyone with suggestions for game night, please give them to me. Even if you've given them to me before, but you know they haven't been implemented, stay on me on those. You know, I might have missed them. I might forget before I change the list. So it's important that if you want to see a game on community game night, let me know and we can find it somewhere to put it in on the schedule. And we'll add probably three or four works, four, excuse me, three or four weeks worth of games to the list by the time this episode is live, um, and if not, very shortly thereafter. Um, that way we can get everybody back in sync, back on track, and back to enjoying games and life together. So, um, with that quick order of business taken care of. Kyle has sent us an audio letter, a review of Code Vein. A so I'm I'm gonna say this and you know get sort of metaphorically slapped, but it's anime Dark Souls. Um, the things that have drawn or attracted me most to this game, for sure, are the huge amounts of character customization and the amount of just sort of anime silliness. I'm all about creating a, a busty, short, uh, green and pink-haired lady. Uh, as my anime fighter of choice. I mean, you can do a lot more than that in the creator. But I've also heard from Kyle talking to him about this a little bit, and then his review. The game's got a lot to offer. Um, neither of us have played it, so there probably won't be much post-discussion. I do want to play it. I do want to get this game. But as of this moment, I have not. I keep hoping it's going to show up on Game Pass in a little bit. But it is a third-party developed game, so it, it might not. But I hope it does. Uh, hang on, I did see something about new Game Pass game. So, um, let me head over there. I mean, it was console centric, but it. Yeah, I saw that. I checked it out, and it's uh, it's not on there. 
I mean, they were not Outer World, so. And that's getting some actually decent reviews, especially for the Obsidian game. Sounds like it's less buggy than. It sounds like it's less buggy than usual. So, anyway, Anime Dark Souls. Yeah, Anime Dark Souls. So. Uh, it's been a while since I've done this, but here's Kyle. Good evening, Jay Arthur and Caffeine Rage. This is Kyle coming to you with an audio review of Bandai Namco's latest outing, Code Vein. Now, if you're anything like me, you probably have no idea what the hell Code Vein is like. My experience with the game before I bought it was a ton of YouTube advertisements before my videos would start, basically showing off all of the anime action that lay within, but not really divulging much in the way of gameplay. Code Vein is a Souls-like game made by the same people who made Dark Souls. Now, just because a game is a Souls-like game doesn't mean I'm immediately going to like it. I have a bit of a history with this sort of game. Starting off with Dark Souls, I actually didn't like the game very much when I first played it. I had to sit down, go to the wiki, read a few things about how some of the game systems worked, and then I was able to fully enjoy this masterpiece of a game. I really liked Dark Souls 2, despite some of the weird design choices that they had within the game. It still scratched that Souls itch for me, and there's enough there that it warrants coming back to play through again and again. However, I didn't like Dark Souls 3 as much. It focused more on a Bloodborne-style quick combat rather than the more traditional take-it-slow-pick-one-enemy-off-at-a-time very tactical combat of Dark Souls. Also, they took this game's difficulty and cranked it up to 12. Enemies were sword sponges, and they hit like Mack trucks, and there was a tonal shift away from any build being viable in PvE and towards one build being dominant over the others, which I feel is from kind of turning their back on the design principles that made the Souls games up until this point fantastic and really, really replayable. The final Souls-like game that I've played that I'd like to talk about is The Surge. And Jared, I know you like The Surge, but goddammit, fuck The Surge. It's just... Mm, boy, I do not have time in this audio letter to go into why I dislike The Surge so fucking much. So the question is, do I like Code Vein? And the answer is, yes, I do like Code Vein. Do I like it more than Dark Souls? No, but there's very few games that I actually like more than Dark Souls. Code Vein has a more Bloodborne-style combat with a focus on quick hits and dodging, more so than hiding behind a shield. It also has more of a Demon's Souls layout, where the linear maps do loop back on themselves a bit, but not nearly as much as in The Surge. Alright, let's talk some pros and cons about this game to see if you might want to play it for yourself. Let's start off with the cons. There's not a lot of variety in enemy types. After you've completed the fourth area of the game, you've seen about 90% of all the templates they're going to throw at you, and everything else is basically just palette swaps. In addition, location assets are reused constantly in the game. Personally, I don't mind this so much because as a combat-focused game, you don't notice this in the minute-to-minute gameplay, but if you actually stop and take a step back, it becomes entirely obvious that there are a shockingly small number of assets in this game. Are either of these things deal-breakers for me? Well, no. If you were listening earlier, I like the game. And as a programmer myself, I understand the value of reusing assets to save space, but here's the major difference. I'm a one-man coding team, and Bandai Namco has over a thousand employees working on this. Personally, I wouldn't mind it nearly as much, if not for the next con. The game gets super laggy whenever it has to load in the next area, like, noticeably laggy. It also throws up a barrier where you can't go back to the area you just were because the game has to deload that in order to reload in the next area. 
Personally, I wouldn't care so much if Dark Souls hadn't pulled this off with aplomb. There is barely any sort of framiness in the original Dark Souls when you're traveling from area to area. Souls 2 had a little bit more of this, but at the same time, it wasn't really noticeable. This inherent lagginess upon load makes me ask one of two questions. Either, is the game not optimized to reload the assets that it does reuse, or... Are the assets that it's using so similar to each other that I didn't notice that they were different assets? Either way, I feel that there is a lot of room for improvement in this area, and hopefully a patch comes along and makes this a non-issue anymore. But for now, this made its way onto my cons list. All that nastiness out of the way, let's talk pros. Far and away, the thing that sets Code Vein apart from other Souls-like games is its class and leveling system. Rather than leveling up individual stats that determine your build throughout the game, you just level up your character, and that gives your character a base level. That level is then run through a blood code, or class, that is selectable and interchangeable at any time during the game. This means that you are never going to run into the problem of having sunk your experience points into the wrong stat. Because you can change your class on the fly, and because your class determines what your stats are, that means you're never going to run into a problem of, oh no, I've sunk 99 points into resistance, and I now realize that is a stupid build, and I now must restart this game. In addition, each class comes with a number of special abilities that you can use that are initially locked to that class, meaning you would have to be that class in order to use those abilities. However, as you go through the game, abilities that you have equipped acquire a mastery. That means that they are no longer simply bound to the class from whence they came. That means if there's an ability that you like and a class that you don't like, all you have to do is one of two things. One, play as that class for a little bit and have that ability as an active ability. Or, two, you can go to the game's equivalent of bonfires and use in-game items to immediately unlock the mastery for a ridiculously high amount of souls. It's called haze in this game, but souls. Which brings me neatly to my next pro, the bosses. These bosses are fantastic. They're difficult, some of them have gimmicks that are a lot of fun, but ultimately there's three that I'd like to bring up. The first one is called the Insatiable Despot. It is the third boss that you need to fight in the game, and it's probably one of the best examples that I can think of of a gimmick fight. Occasionally, throughout the fight, the Insatiable Despot will throw down an AoE attack, which will spawn a crystal. You need to kill that crystal very quickly, otherwise it will spawn a mini-me of the Insatiable Despot, which will harass you in your fight with him. Now, mechanically, the Insatiable Despot is not the greatest in the game. It's pretty straightforward by Code Vein standards. However, this gimmick is what set it apart in my mind. The second boss I want to talk about is the Invading Executioner, known in the community as, well, the Stripper. The two reasons I want to talk about this are, number one, I think this is the boss that, if J. Arthur does end up playing this game, will be the determining factor as to whether he will continue playing and enjoy this game or put it down and never pick it up again. Two, this was the point in the game in which my brute force method of just sticking with the same abilities and class that I had since the beginning of the game did not work. I had to start playing around with different classes and different abilities until I found a combination of things that would eventually fell this spinning, pole-dancing temptress of a boss. The final boss, or should I say pair of bosses, that I would like to talk about is the Blade Bearer and Cannoneer. That is this game's version of the Ornstein and Smo fight. Personally, I find this fight to be harder than Ornstein and Smo. 
The reason is the Blade Bearer and Cannoneer so perfectly cover each other's weaknesses. The Cannoneer is an AoE ranged focus boss, while the Blade Bearer has a fast, high DPS sword. This fight gave me more challenge than almost any other fight in the game. But the important part to me is it's not bullshit difficulty. It's not that these two are sword sponges and they hit like Mack trucks. They do hit like Mack trucks, but it is an interesting combat encounter, which to me harks back to that original Souls vibe that I've been searching for for a few years now. Speaking of Souls vibes, the Dark Souls games generally tell their story through item descriptions, through environmental set pieces, and through the design of their characters. Does Code Vein do this? Nope. Code Vein chooses to be more reliant on dialogue, cutscenes, and, well, just generally be more cinematic, which is right in line with its anime style. There is a bit of hidden lore in the game through items which you can find on the ground called Blood Vestiges. However, the main story doesn't really need you to find these, it will just be a lot sadder if you don't. The thing I would like to talk about, though, the thing that took this game in my mind from, yeah, it's a pretty good story, to, oh, oh, we're playing on this level, is this. Right after you encounter the first boss that has any sort of importance to the main story, you get a cutscene with this character who has been following you, backslash you've been chasing him, for the entirety of the game up until this point. And then an anime fight scene breaks out in a cutscene, but oh my god, it is the coolest, most fist-pumpinest moment that I have had in this entire game. So, what are my final opinions on Codemain? First, if you can swing it, I would not pay $60 for this game. I'm about 24 hours in, and I'm at the second-to-last boss, so this game is pretty short, and I've been doing a decent amount of side questing, so... I would wait for it to go on sale for about 40 bucks, which is incidentally what the original Dark Souls originally retailed for. Second, the character creator is ridiculously in-depth and very cool. There's one thing that I'm a little bit sketchy on, and that's you get to pick a voice for your character, but your character is a silent protagonist, so I don't know if that comes into play later in the game or at the end of the game, but it struck me as a little weird in cutscenes where my character would just nod and there was implicit talking, but he never actually used the voice, which I picked for him. Overall, great game. I like it. Jared, I'm at about an 80% as to whether I think you would like it. Rage, you don't like Souls games to begin with, so yeah, 0% on that. I'd give this one a hard pass. However, to anybody in the audience, if you like Souls games and you like anime, I'd give this a shot. And for anybody looking to get into the Souls-like series, I would actually start here. The mechanics are pretty easy to get your head around, and there's not a whole lot of obfuscation through layers. Anyways, I think it's about time to put a bow on this monstrously long audio letter. I've been Kyle, and thanks for listening. Moving on from Kyle's letter, which, thank you very much, glad to have the male moth, moths, male crickets gone for this week. Um, Rage, where can they send things to us if they want to do so? Well, you can send them to vglpodcast at gmail.com or tweet them to us over at vglpodcast on well, the Twitter. Uh, the bird's still dead, so you know, we haven't seen anything over there in a while. So, all right, go wake up. Indeed. So, Discovery Q? Mark? Um, I'm not going to lie. I'm starting to, to fade out. I'm feeling pretty sleepy. Um, I might could make it through one. 
but I don't know if I'm how entertaining I'm gonna be. That's different, how? That's mean, but fair. <laughs> uh, so I guess we're in the intro then, because ah, uh, yeah, yes, I would I appreciate pro- that tonight. I'm, it just kind of hit me all of a sudden. Well, it probably doesn't have your internet's gone to sh- what? Well, shit. Which is interesting because all of my stuff is saying that it's fine, but you know, obviously that doesn't mean it's true. But I don't know where the problem is. I assume it's somewhere between me and you. Uh, maybe, but I'm showing uh, all green on my end as well. Maybe Discord's having issues. Uh, maybe. Um, yeah, I, you should go listen to Craig and see if that has an issue. I will. I hope I hope Craig is fine. Craig is the easiest way to pull Franken content. Actually, I haven't seen Craig light up once today. Is, isn't Craig supposed to light up when it's Craig recording? Craig is supposed to light up whenever it's recording. I haven't been paying attention. I mean, if that's the case, then, well, we'll deal with it, but... Craig, are you there? Ground control to Major Craig. Usually, if there's an issue, issue, it'll pop up and it'll say, "I haven't heard you say anything in a while." So they could have changed Craig, or it could just be straight up broken. Okay. I haven't gotten a message from Craig that says we take two weeks off and our robot, uh, robotic overlord has died. It's true. There is no God because Craig is dead. <laughs> Craig is dead. All right, buddy. Why don't you hit them with them their socials? Well, I've been Caffeine Rage. I'm on the YouTube's Gaming with Caffeine Rage. You can find me on Twitter. And maybe I'll wake up my uh, little tweeter over at CR. And uh, I'm just going to skip Twitch because I haven't anything there for ages. But you can find me over on Steam, Caffeine Rage, as well. And you've been... Gaming Psychologist. You can find me over on the YouTubes by searching for Gaming Psychologist on Twitter at JMA4707 and on Steam, uh, JArthur4707. And if you don't know exactly what episode of the podcast you're coming from, the password for this week is Free Hong Kong! Free Hong Kong! Free Hong Kong! (laughs) Yeah, that'll keep uh, 10 cent off of us, huh? And once again, if you wish to contact us and the Chinese government, we don't want that blood money. And yes, uh, yes, Jared, we do not want the blood money. Stop it. You know me too well. I was going to say something. You can contact us over at VGLpodcast at gmail.com with your letters, voicemails, game-related topics, or just tweet us VGLpodcast. Our lovely, lovely patrons have made this uh, absolute madness possible. Find out more at VGL, uh, sorry, at patreon.com slash VGL podcast. And our lovely patrons have also made our Podbean possible. VGLpodcast.podbean.com was host the show notes, the RSS feed. Links to all our stuff, where you can find us on iTunes, Google Play, or your podcatcher of choice. Our intro, ta- in, uh, intro and outro is on the ground by Kevin McLeod. You can find his work at incomputech.com and... As always, as his lovely music starts to roll across my voice. Bye-bye now. See you next time. Bye-bye.